Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 100, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. A new poll says teachers are not teaching about climate change, but parents wish they did. And Florida lawmakers vote to help those teachers that are struggling to pass the state teacher exam. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, we talked to a teacher that quit grading papers at home. So how did she do it? Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt. Lissa, how are you doing? I am great. It is episode 100. Oh, really? Yes. One, like, is that weird? Yeah. I didn't think I would <laughs> you didn't think you'd still make it. be here. <laughs> Sorry. So I mean, really, when you first asked me to do this, I was like, I mean, I'll do like three episodes, and then you can find somebody better qualified. Ah, <laughs> uh, you've done great. I think I think the audience loves you. You know, I think our original plan was to do eight episodes, and, and we're still going on... <laughs> 100 episodes. <laughs> You're going to put an echo there. I know. 100. I think I'm, I'm going to. <laughs> um, I feel like we should have done something special, but I don't I don't have that up my sleeve right now because we just turn these out weekly, so we just got to keep going. Let's go ahead and jump into the teacher's lounge. <laughs> hey, what do you think about climate change? Am I allowed to ask you that? Like, do you believe so, the thing? <laughs> so um, for those of you who don't know, in a previous life, I was a weatherman. So I, we would get asked about this all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and being in South Mississippi, like, our general response was like, we tried to avoid the question because right, it, everybody is, does. it is a huge wedge issue. Yes, it is. I, I have my own beliefs about it. What are you going to tell us? But uh, I just <laughs> think that, like, people, like, they, I mean, it's right under abortion. Like, that's, I feel like that's where we are. Like, okay, and it's like, which side are you way on? Way too serious. Way too fast. Right. But I feel, like, I feel like that's where people are. Like, it's like, what? Goodness. Climate change? No climate change. It's, so it's one of those ways. Okay. Issues. Well, that's what I'm talking about. I think, okay. I think we should talk about it for sure. Okay, let's and and we I mean talk about climate change. I mean teachers, students, people. So NPR just put out the results to a survey where they asked people, "Hey, do you think we should be teaching climate change in school?" They asked parents and they asked teachers, and then they dug into it. Like, okay, so now that we have the results, what are we doing? So eighty percent, more than eighty percent of parents in the United States support the teaching of climate change in schools. And that two thirds of that is Republican, nine out of 10 are Democratic. So it it crosses party lines. Okay. So there's your wedge. Okay. Okay. So they're saying, yes, we want it to be taught. Right. That doesn't mean that they are saying, yes, we want to be taught that it is a thing or it isn't a thing. Yeah. Is this kind of like, want it to be taught. This is kind of like, I want my kids to learn about both creationism and evolution well i think they just mean like hey i want my children to be able to know about climate change you know what may lead to it or what is it or what is or is not causing it and is there anything we can do to change it if it is or is not happening right (laughs) so 
more than 80% of parents say, yeah, okay, uh-huh, I bring that. it on. A little surprising it. How, right. how much it crosses party sure. lines, but yeah. 86% of teachers agree that, yes, it should be taught. Absolutely, it should be taught. Mm-hmm. But. Mm, there's a but. Nobody's teaching it. Nobody's right. teaching it. So they Because they're scared, out. right? Well, Just like now, the other guy's scared to talk about it. Yeah. This became relative based on Earth Day, you know. We've, you know, around Earth Day, they decided, let's let's dive in and see, like, hey, what's going on? Now, Earth Day is always a big deal in school. It, should, it really is. Yeah, like, you know, is. we usually plant a tree. In my class, we're, we're doing this huge sidewalk chalk project. Oh, yeah? So um, you're, like, polluting the earth with sidewalk chalk? Uh, no. no <laughs> okay, thanks. Sorry. We're actually not using paper that day. Thanks. Wow. Thanks, nice. Nick. That's a good idea. That's so good. anyway... That week, I should say, the entire week, we're not using paper. So that's me saving 700 sheets of paper. In art class, no paper. That's clever. That's, that's right. I like that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, but they were like, well, let's see. Is anybody talking about climate change? I mean, if we're going to talk about it, this would be the time as we're nearing or if we've just passed Earth yeah. Day. Well, nope, nope, and nope. And so they asked teachers, okay, Why? Why are you not talking about it? That 55% of teachers are not talking yeah, about climate change. Is, I want to know. So they say, well, most of them say because they worry about parent complaints. Because One teacher even was vocal enough to say, if we spend a day talking about climate change, even for just a 30-minute discussion, yeah. of course that's going to spark discussion Why are you indoctrinating home. my kids? Right. So she was like, then I have to spend the next three hours responding to emails from parents who want to let me know that they know more about it or that I'm stupid or whatever. Right. So that was the main reason of why they're not talking about climate change. Another reason is some say they just don't simply know enough on one side or the other to be able to feel like they did a fair job of discussing it both ways mm-hmm. and then some teachers say most teachers the the main reason was it's not my subject area Boom. okay so that was the main reason it's not my subject area and you hey, know the art teachers teaching about that's right, climate that's change right. so um and i don't like that answer i'll be honest yeah, no, that's what i'm saying like i, I was very ill to find that that was the number one reason because we are all supposed to cross subject lines. You right, know? right. And I can, if I can see this easily happening. If it's not in your subject area, there are adorable little children's books out there that that broach the topic, even in a small bite-sized way. Yeah. Um, and even if you don't want to say that, that humans are the cause of climate change, you still can talk about recy- recycling and this and that. You, you, there's math involved. Ways to reduce methane gas. Absolutely. Stuff like that, yeah. You can talk about how much, how in math class, how many gallons of water are used for this, this, and this, and how to reduce reuse, you yeah. know? So anyway, that kind of bothered me that everybody's like, not my problem. Yet when they're polled, 86% of teachers say, yes, we should definitely talk about this in school. This affects us. So that tells me that there th- there's a market for like some CEUs or something like on climate change. Well, like, I mean, like the, people need information. They need to learn how to teach this, well, right? Well, and let me say this. My school, we just, the third graders at my school, which is like almost 400 children, there's a university in our state, Mississippi State University. They can, They have outreach where they will send someone that knows way more than you ever wanted to know. Right. And they will come and do a free seminar with your students. They wow. stayed the entire day. The students rotated through. Wow. How fun for the kids. Yeah. They showed all kinds of, you know, photos of our Mississippi Gulf Coast and what's happening with animals and things like that. 
with with pollution and with Erosion climate change and, and yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, they touched on all of it. And the kids were all fired up. They had no idea. This is something that the kids rotated through that the teachers were able to take and go for just a short, small amount of the day. That's a good point. And you don't even yeah. have to have the knowledge yourself. Right. Our local zoo yeah. has people that, that come out and speak. So, like, if this is if, – if one of your reasons is, hey, I don't know enough – or I'm worried that if I'm the one that broaches this topic that I'm going to hear about it from my parents, get somebody from the outside. Look to your resources. They're almost always free, and they send in the experts for you, which is way more interesting for the kids to listen to somebody else talk about it than you. Right. If you're a younger you know, teacher of younger students, get a storybook and spring from that to where you just... All you have to do is just throw out information. They don't have to know all the ins and outs and who says this and what, and it's all, you know, a bunch of bull or no, it's not. Yeah. Just talk about it. I you just know? hate that it's partisan. Like, why does this topic have to be partisan? Because of money. Yeah, being you're right. Used. That is I mean, the that's, answer. It comes that's down it. to money. Yeah. So, I mean, and obviously in my art class, like, we're not even going to go into all that nastiness. We're going to talk about, hey, this is where we live. We want to celebrate where we live. Mm. We celebrate each other all the time. We celebrate our Mother's Day, Father's Day, birthdays. We celebrate all kinds of other stuff. How about let's celebrate the earth and let's yeah. let's be a little more aware. And you know what? This week, let's pick up a little bit more trash. You know what I did and yesterday? And let's turn off the water while we're brushing our teeth. You know? I, I got me. This won't seem like a big deal if you live in California and you're listening, but in Mississippi, no one does. And I'm no one. Most people don't do this. Um, and that's the reusable grocery bags like that's just not like people don't do that around here i rarely see somebody with them yeah i see it a little bit yeah um but like it's pretty common just grab the plastic bag in walmart you know load up your groceries and you go to other states out west usually they're like do you have your bag and like i've traveled out there and they're like do you have your bag and i'm like no i'm, I'm just visiting no and yeah i'm and a then, jerk yeah right exactly <laughs> i feel like a jerk and i'm like i, will, I don't need a bag I was like trying to carry my stuff out oh, of the gosh. store. Uh, but but no, I felt really good about it. I felt good about getting my reusable bags and they like they can fit in your center console and then they like open up into pretty big. Mm-hmm. And then you can fit like like one reusable bag's like three plastic bags, maybe more. So pretty excited about that. Do that. So what do you like? You get out of your car, you get a buggy, you put it in the buggy and yeah, you go you can... shopping and put it in the bags no, immediately? You, no, no, I'll probably just keep the bags like in the cart. Mm, and gotcha. then when I go to check out, I'll start loading them up. And I felt, you know what, what made me like feel like there's no reason for me not to do this. I do self checkout a lot, so like I always felt would have felt weird. I don't know why it's stupid, but like when someone else is checking you out and they're like, "I brought my own bags," and they're like, "Here you go, use these, not yours." <laughs> and now it's like I don't, I don't have to talk to anybody, so I just gonna do that on my own. So I felt like it's well, I used my own bags, but now I don't, and the reason why is that Walmart has started doing this. Pickup, or you order your uh, yeah, yeah, your this, groceries in advance. Good point. Yeah, so it comes out in already bags. So I actually was a person that used my own bags, and now I have switched to not because they bring it out curbside. Huh. Yeah, but they don't, and they don't have a solution for that. I no. wonder what they're doing in California curbside. Like, I wonder if they like are just bringing it out, and then like you take it out of their bags and put it in yours, and then they. Go, I don't know. I mean, they like, bring it out in bins. They do bring it out in bins. Yeah, it doesn't so really need honestly, to be in bags. It didn't have to be in bags. I would get out of my car, obviously, and put it into my yeah. bag. Maybe there's like a little check box on there, like I have my own bags, like when you're ordering. There's not, but they, they should. should. Yeah. yeah, I think this is all a new thing, and it's a huge yeah. time saver. So I use it because. I am one of those school teachers that has my school teaching job and then a second job. And yeah. so the whole shopping for groceries is not 
convenient. So right. I do the order ahead grocery thing. I hear you. Um, remember about two years ago, uh, like episode early on, um, <laughs> we talked about in Florida, there were, there was this, this test that got harder for the teachers to be qualified. I do remember yeah, that. Nothing had really been done about it until now. Like years later, apparently the um, Senate approved the bill, Bill 7070, which will ease the pathway for teaching candidates who are continuing to fail the general knowledge section of the certification exam. Um, by easing the pathway, that really means just giving them more time on the test. Which so, is fair. Yeah, so you get the time. I don't think they're really changing the test at all, um, but they are going to allow, and I don't know exactly how this works, but they are going to allow for principals to um, say that this teacher's doing a great job, is an exceptional teacher, even though they're not passing the test. So we are not going to get rid of this teacher. Like it's basically like a leadership can step in um, if they're the teacher is deemed quote highly effective. Now I don't think that gets them off the hook on the test. Like they have to keep taking it, mm-hmm. but it buys them time to continue to take it. Thoughts? Well, I remember when we talked about this the first time, and I was so vivid about how we should not have time tests. You know, we we constantly complain about how it's not fair for the kids to have time tests. And, and I get it that a lot of kids get unlimited time because they have accommodations, but there are some children that are just slower readers or, you know, they just really dissect and decode every single word, but they don't yeah. have or need more time on math. Or, or, yeah, whatever. absolutely. Um, you know, we teach math, we teach children to check their work. Yeah. And sometimes as math teachers, we don't give full credit if we didn't see that they checked their work. But then on the math test, we don't want them to check yeah, their work go, because go. they have no time. Right. So I do think that this is an excellent modification. You're not changing the test. You're just allowing more time, which definitely means more money for the test givers because they have to pay the proctors to be there. And that's the issue. That's the real reason why everything is timed. It's because they have to have proctors in the facilities to give you that mm-hmm. unlimited time. But to me, you know, when I went and had to take the middle school mathematics test, I mean, I was given, I think, like an hour and 25 minutes or something like that. But truly, that was so fast for someone that was teaching algebra and pre-algebra for years that I ran out of time yeah. on that test. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute now. You know, you want you, you want us to do our best and you want us to to get them all correct, but then you're you're cutting our time. You got to you got to help somewhere. You know, you got if you want people to be certified, highly qualified and certified in a content area, then you've got to give them their time to process and take those tests. So I I say good job Florida. Well, so apparently the talking about money, the base fee was $130 to take the test the first time. If you failed it, you had to pay 150 an extra $20 on top of it. And that's even if the candidate only had to take one section of the four-section test. But when they retake it, they're given longer time, right? Apparently now they will be once right. the bill's so signed. The bill's not signed extra, by the governor yet, but it looks like it will be. Maybe um, that extra money is going to cover the proctors to be there well, for extra hours. But actually the Board of Education has recently agreed to lower the cost of the exams. That's a hardship too. I mean... Yeah, I mean... it. I, I agree with you. I think this is the right thing. It needed to happen. It's good to see Florida making a change. And plus, when you talk about, I mean, 
the fact that they still have to take the pass the test eventually or a principal's like vouching for this person saying this is a great teacher give them more time another chance um i think that's a good compromise i don't feel like you're you're you know putting teachers that don't need to be teachers in the school district i agree so and i think that would be really the only argument against the changes so yeah, I think a lot of people that don't know anything about the issue, you'll hear teachers say, no, this is not what we need. We don't need for them to lower the bar for education. We need them to pay us more and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yes, I agree. Yeah. We do need to be paid more, and then we will attract more highly qualified people to the position. But I don't think that there. this is too much to ask. We're not watering down you know, our profession by allowing more time on these exams. Yep. Are you ready for the bright idea? Yes. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is an English teacher in Sonoma County, California, but she's also an avid blogger and has authored several books on blended learning. Recently, Catlin Tucker has been blogging about her 2017 New Year's resolution, and that resolution was to move all assessments into the classroom. Catlin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited that you're here because we're now a year from that 2017 New Year's resolution, which sounds very ambitious. Basically, it sounds like you were saying you were going to move all grading uh, in the classroom and not do it back at home. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. So how did that work out for you? Uh, I have yet to take a stack of grading home. So I have kept my New Year's resolution. And ironically, I'm kind of not a New Year's resolution person. I don't make them for myself personally. But um, for me, I hit a point where I was like, okay, enough's enough. And it's a resolution that I'm sure many teachers fantasize about, so I figured I would go for it and see what happened. And I think a lot of teachers probably fantasize about that because they often have to grade at home because they just don't have enough time in the classroom to pull this off. So what was the secret for you? Um, you know, for me, the decision came from a place of, you know, I love my job, um, but there are aspects of my job and I feel like every educator can sympathize with this. There are aspects of our job that we don't like, the the aspects of our job that are really draining in terms of our energy level. And for me, over that, that Christmas break, when I, right, kind of leading up to that New Year's resolution, I was thinking about all the things I love about teaching and all the things I don't like about my job and all the things I find energizing versus the things I find draining. And one of the the top issues that I kept butting up against was this idea of I was so resented taking all of that grading and that work home. And I obviously, as you said, I've written several books on blended learning and how to use technology really strategically in the classroom to put students at the center of learning and create a little bit more time and flexibility in terms of what learning looks like and how kids engage with information. And so I figured, why not put my blended learning models to the test and see if I could create time in my classroom and have assessment be something that happened in real time, really as a conversation between me and students, as opposed to something that I put in my bag, either virtually or in paper form, and hauled into my personal life, where it really robbed me of the time that my kids want with me. My, you know, I have a, a nine and a 10 year old, and they want my attention. And, and it robbed me of that time and space and ability to kind of relax and be creative that drives a lot of my lesson and project design. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot because I don't know if you remember what you wrote about a year ago, but you basically <laughs> you basically had about three 
three reasons. You remember what those three reasons were? No, I don't know the specific reason. Okay, um, you you said that uh, your prep time is better spent on designing creative and engaging lessons. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Two. You said real time <laughs> feedback and assessment are a, a way more effective. Agreed. Um, so I guess you're saying like actually having that one on one with the student rather than you know handing them a piece of paper with notes on it, right? Exactly. And uh, you said you don't get paid to to grade outside of class, which you know I think I think for teachers it seems maybe like we've we've um, you know just all have kind of accepted that you're supposed to grade out of class, but does it really have to be that way? What's yeah, I well, I, first let me say I feel like what I said a year ago was brilliant, and uh, I agree with everything I said. <laughs> and I do think that often teachers were almost like these martyrs. Like we we have a prep period; it is not nearly enough time. I mean, most of us don't even get past you know, kind of looking at the schedule for the week, figuring out, you know, what administrative meetings we have to go to, what parent meetings we have to go to, what parent correspondence we have to catch up on. I mean, I rarely even get to use my prep period to lessen design, if I'm really honest. I have so many IEPs and 504 and administrative commitments and on campus during those windows of time that I am often robbed of my prep period as an actual slice of time to get ready for my students. And so, you know, a lot of teachers will say, um, oh, well, you don't want to like do any work at home. And that's not it. Like, I, I love lesson design. I love creating curriculum. That's what I want to spend my time outside of class doing if I have to do work at home, because I find it really exciting and mentally stimulating and engaging. Um, grading, I don't find exciting or mentally stimulating. And it's not super rewarding when it's all by myself. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the secret sauce to your your ability to do this all comes down to what you call a station rotation model, right? It's it's one of the models I use, yes. Okay. But I would say I dabble in I use several different blended learning models to achieve what I'm doing. Okay. Well let's start with the station rotation model. Kind of explain to the listeners what's that about. So the station rotation model is a blended learning model that does exactly what the name suggests. There are a series of stations and students rotate through them over the course of a single period, over the course of a couple days. It kind of depends on how much time you have. I have 90 minutes with my kiddos, so I can typically rotate them through four 20-minute stations or, you know, three 30-minute stations if I want. Um, I have a lot of teachers who push back and say, well, I teach in a 49-minute period. I can't do what you're talking about, Catlin. And I remind them that, you know, these models are really flexible. So I work with a school district in Palm Springs that is on a 50-minute period, and they do a four-station, two-day rotation. So kids hit two stations one day, two stations the next day. I've worked with schools where they do a four-day, four-station rotation. So the what makes it bl- a blended learning model is that at least one of those stations is an online learning station. Now, if you have a ton of technology, which I actually don't, I'm not in a one-to-one school, then you could have multiple stations be online stations. Typically, I like to rotate it so students go online, offline, online offline so they get a nice mix of learning modalities so i guess one of those stations is the time where you get the assessment time with the student is that correct Yes, I affectionately call that station Tucker time. So that's their time with me. It is my teacher-led station. And is that where essentially the grading's happening and that's kind of what's key? 
Yeah. So I use that not just for grading or assessing a finished product, but also when students are writing an essay or I co-teach English, science, and history. So they might be working on a formal lab report or they might be analyzing a text. Uh, if, if it's able to be done on Google Docs, so if it's writing where I can jump into a document or it's a Word doc where, or it's a Google doc with a, a text on it that they're digging into and they're making notes about and I can dive into that doc and work side by side with them virtually, then in that station, I also use, before we get to the actual assessing of their work, I use it as real-time feedback. So instead of what a lot of teachers do, which is, you know, they, they use class time to present the how-to. This is how you do this type of writing, or this is how you format this part of your lab report. That is all flipped classroom. So I make a series of videos with the how-to for kids, and then my time is spent side-by-side -side with them in that teacher-led Tucker time station so that I'm diving into documents as they're working, providing real-time feedback. And then as they finish whatever the... the the essay or the project or the piece that they're working on and it's ready to actually be assessed, then that happens side by side as well, where they literally sit next to me. We have our, my computer and their Chromebook open and I'm talking them through the, the two or three criteria that I'm actually assessing in that formal piece of writing or in that assignment that I'm grading. All right. So if I'm hearing you right, in the other blended method that you dropped there was flipped classroom. So we've got station rotation model and flipped classroom. Is there something else that you kind of bring in, into there? Yeah, so oftentimes I will also use, it used to be called the lab rotation. And in my most recent book, Blended Learning in Action, I kind of talked about a more updated version of what used to be a lab rotation, which was where a group of students would rotate between an actual classroom and a computer lab. But now with the kind of ubiquitous nature of devices, a lot of teachers have are in a one-to-one -one or they have access to a Chromebook cart, kids don't need to go to a lab to access devices. They can stay in a single location. And so I use another model called the whole group rotation where you rotate as an entire group online and offline. So we might start the class offline and then rotate online and during that online activity they're all working kind of at their own pace maybe on activities that are geared to whatever their skill level is and then I'm plucking them individually during that online component for them to sit next to me at my kind of two-seater table and talk through whatever it is I'm assessing. All right so um, so everyone listening knows Blended Learning in Action actually uh, is a book it's available on uh, Amazon it's also yes. uh, in Kindle and paperback and um, if you're having trouble keeping up CatlinTucker.com um, has, you know, kind of a breakdown of everything we're talking about here, right? It does. Yeah, okay. there's blogs on everything. Gotcha. So uh, what do the, the naysayers say when they hear, you know, you're not grading papers at home? What's usually the first thing you hear? Uh, I think the thing I hear most is I don't have time in class to do that. I, I can people the teachers that I talk to are usually you know, lamenting that I have so much curriculum to get through. There's no way I can do what you're suggesting, and I understand that. But I get frustrated because so often the focus is on getting through everything instead of what are kids going to retain, what skills are they developing. Like if we race through curriculum. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if the kids aren't honing skills that they're going to use long after our class. And a lot of the research on how much 
actual information kids remember from classes, which is what the teachers are racing through, the percentage of what they remember is so alarmingly low that I really feel like our time as educators is much better spent supporting the development of skills, skills that will be ingrained and kind of follow students after they leave our classes. So I, I think we spend time on what we value. I also think that there aren't a lot of credential programs right now that are focusing on how to support teachers in learning about what are the different models? When would I use a station rotation? And what would that look like? And when would I use the classroom? And what would that look like? And so teachers don't know how to move away from this whole group, one size kind of fits all lesson to create the pockets of space and time needed to have these conversations. And whenever I go out and I train or I speak at conferences, I tell teachers, I'm like, think about what you love about your job and find time to do more of it and figure out what do you want kids to really be able to do when they leave your class. And I bet when they get to the bottom of that answer, it's not going to be about the information. It's going to be about skills. And so how are we acting as coaches facilitating the development of skills? Excellent. Well, um, again, it's CatlinTucker.com. And uh, do you have a resolution for uh, 2018 that's as aggressive as last year's? You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about what I wanted to blog about and going into the new year. And it wasn't so much a resolution for me. It was more of a, hey, it's almost in line with what we're talking about here, Nick, which is like, before you dive into a second semester, think about the parts of your job that you love and why, your why, why are you in the classroom? Articulate that for yourself so that you don't lose sight of it in the mundane day-to-day stuff that is often so draining and kind of disillusions teachers. Yeah, that, that sounds great. I know um, it's Simon Sinek, who's a big yes, motivational speaker. I love him. Yeah, he's I great. love him. He's yeah. great. And he, he has this big, this big theory when it comes to marketing. It's like, it's not what you do, it's why you do it. And it, it really should be applied to everyone probably on an individual level, just I when it comes to their, their work. So good stuff. Well, again, uh, we really appreciate your time. Are you ready for our um, pop quiz? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. All right. First question. If students could go to school for only one subject, which subject should it be? Oh my gosh, that's a mean question. Oh yeah, so it's um, just a what if. A what if? Uh, God, see, selfishly, I want to say English because I want them to read and write, but the math teachers will all hate me. But I'm gonna say English. Okay, that that's a fair answer. I mean, you know, you gotta, <laughs> gotta be able to read to do math, I guess. Um, what are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Soft skills. What do you mean by that? I just don't think that there's a real focus on teaching kids how to communicate, how to collaborate and work together effectively. I hear from students all the time, I hate projects, I hate group work, they, they don't, nobody contributes. And I'm like, you guys don't have the skills needed to have, you know, like to have conversations, to create things together. I just think so often we're focused on the, the more academic skills and we really kind of neglect this whole other set of soft skills that, you know, if you read anything coming out of Forbes or the skills that most employers are saying kids leaving high school and college right now don't have. And I, I, we don't think we've said yet the age group that you typically work with is eighth, ninth, ninth grade? and 10th grade, ninth and 10th ninth grade. And 10th, yeah. Okay. Um, what does every child deserve? I think every child deserves a creative kind of space and environment where they have autonomy and can learn. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? 
mass. I think, honestly, every great idea that's coming out of education is just hard to do because there's so many students and not enough resources. What's the uh, best gift to give an educator? Autonomy. Which teacher changed your life? Miss Lowney. <laughs> Why is that? Um, she, I don't remember a lot of my teachers in high school. I was had a lot of competing priorities, but I had, and I wasn't a big reader until 11th grade. And then I was in Miss Lowney's English class and she made me read a prayer for Owen Meany, which looked like as thick as the Bible. And that book is what made me a reader. And I ultimately believe put me on a course to enter education. All right. Good stuff. And last question, pen or pencil? Pen. Pencil's so smudgy, it hurts my eyes. All right. Again, um, the website is CatlinTucker.com if you'd like to keep up with everything we've been talking about today and uh, her book, uh, which is Blended Learning in Action, A Practical Guide Toward Sustainable Change, is available on Amazon.com. We really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Nick. All right. Take care. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you. So if you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and subscribe to the show. We'd also love it if you leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter. Just search for us by typing in Class Dismissed. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.